Welcome to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette, with your host Steve Garrett, MC and DJ at one of the largest Corvette weekends in the country, Corvette Fun Fest, president of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri, and radio disc jockey at the number one radio station in Kansas City for over 40 years. Here's Steve Garrett. Thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. I appreciate you tuning in. You can listen to Corvette Today on all podcast platforms. You can also listen on your smart device. Just say, hey, Google or Alexa, play the podcast called Corvette Today, and you're connected. Also, visit the Corvette Today website. It's corvettetodaypodcast.com. And while you're on the website, click on the link for the new Corvette Today merchandise store. There you can purchase Corvette Today hats, t-shirts, jackets, koozies, coffee cups, mouse pads, and much more. You can also sign up for Corvette Today notifications, updates, and information at corvettetoday.ck.page. And don't forget, join the Corvette Today Facebook group. We now have over 3,000 members in the group, and I'd love to have you as a member as well. And I'm also excited to tell you about the new YouTube channel for Corvette Today. Be sure and check out your favorite Corvette Today podcast now on YouTube. First, I'd like to thank our flagship sponsors of Corvette today, Corvette Fever Magazine. Corvette Fever has been relaunched with an online and printed version. The online version has incredible interactivity with hidden photos and information, and the printed version is like nothing you've ever seen before, huge and glossy. Get your free online version at CorvetteFeverMag.com. You can also sign up for the printed version there as well. Corvette Fever Magazine, come along for the ride. Also, MidEngineCorvetteForum.com. If you'd like to join a new vibrant forum that focuses on the new mid-engine C8 Corvette, it's free to join this friendly community. You'll meet a lot of fellow Corvette enthusiasts like yourself at midenginecorvetteforum.com. Also, a shout-out to canadiancorvetteforum.com, welcoming Corvette owners from around the world. In 1960, Briggs Cunningham took three C1 Corvettes to race at Le Mans. The number three car won its class that year, but what happened to those cars after they raced at Le Mans? Well, the number three car that won the race is now owned by Lance Miller, the owner of Carlisle Events and Corvettes at Carlisle. The number two car is owned by Bruce Myers, who's a big car collector in Los Angeles. But what happened to that number one car? Well, my guest on Corvette today returns to the show to tell you the history of the number one car, what happened to it, and where it is now, plus the future plans for it. I welcome back to the show Kevin McKay, the legendary Corvette hunter. Kevin, welcome back to Corvette today. Well, thank you, Steve. I'm blessed to be here. I'm glad you're here, buddy, because this is a phenomenal story. Let's start off, Kevin. Talk about the history of that number one Corvette. Well, Bruce Cunningham was very, very involved with racing at an early age. Got really into it, I guess, in his college days and was over at Europe and watched some of these cars race. And he goes, you know, I could do that one day. He came from a very, very successful family. I know his family was in the meatpacking business. And I believe he married a young lady that was in the oil business. Money was never an issue with him and his family. But what was really cool about that, his father died when he was only five years old. So he never really got to know his father that well. And his mother said, Briggs, promise me, I know you just love racing. Promise me you're not going to do any racing while I'm alive. Well, as soon as she passed away, I was told he went berserk into racing <laughs> and built his own cars and everything else. And his dream was to win Le Mans, the 24-hour race overall. And he did that on a few occasions. I know he brought two Cadillacs over there. One was the Le Mans car, which is an amazing car itself, and a 1950 Cadillac. 
didn't do too well there, but it made a lasting impression on him for the years to come. In 1960, there was never a Corvette that ever entered at Le Mans, and he was going to try that effort and ordered three Corvettes right here in New York City at a place called Don Allen Chevrolet. They all got special treatment. There were fuel injection and had large fuel tank in the car. It was the first year for the big tank, which is only 10 produced that particular year, which makes it extremely rare. They were white in color with blue interior. And then they went back to a place, Alfred Momo, who had a Jaguar distributor, was brought there and they were being worked on over there and did some serious modifications on them. They put Halibrand wheels on them. They extended the tank from 24 to 37 gallon tank and they put a roll bar in it. They put two coils in it and two batteries and two fuel pumps. They removed the wiper system from the outer part of the dash on the passenger side to the center of the dash. This way the wipers don't be clashing. They put a hood louver in and they dechromed the whole body of the car and they put a quick release Halibrand fuel cup on the car and they put these special airplane fighter seats in the car made out of aluminum. They put like a blue and floor interior in the car. And they put like a special NASCAR dashboard setup in it. Jones tack, the still one of gauges, rear quarter vents in the back of the hard top, special side exhaust, oil cooler. Also, I even had an additional star switch inside the firewall of the car and so on. Also, it had these special headlight covers on the car, which is kind of cool. If you look at the pictures online, the three Cunningham cars actually had they were red, white, and blue. The number one car had the white headlight covers. The number two car had the blue headlight covers. And of course, the number three car had the red headlight covers. So they'd be identified when they went around the track. But two out of the three started the race at Sebring in March of 1961st. So this gets a little bit confusing, but after all the research we've been involved with these cars, that at Sebring, believe it or not, the number one car at Sebring would turn out to be the number three car at Le Mans. Oh. Which is very, very important here. And how we found that out when we hunted down the number three class winner car that's owned by Lance Miller now. By body damage, after we stripped that car down, we noticed that the driver's side front fender had some severe damage at Sebring because the car had a broken axle when John Fitch was driving the car at Sebring and crushed the driver's side fender and crushed the hardtop on the car. So they put a replacement fender only on that driver's side. So when we stripped that car down, we noticed they had these special little spring-loaded Ferrari hood pins on the car to keep the hood down. So the holes were still visible on the passenger side, which was a virgin fender. And on the driver's side, we saw the Ferrari holes, evidence of that, where there was a hood pin on that side, too. So we knew for a fact that the number one car at Sebring was a number three car at Le Mans. Very cool. The number two car that was at Sebring became the number one car at Le Mans. That's it. The other Cunningham car was not ready yet. So they brought the two at Sebring, and then in June, they brought the three out for the first time. Now, Briggs Cunningham, his nickname was called Mr. C, and he was born out of Cincinnati, Ohio. And he was just obsessed with racing. Now, Kevin, this car has been virtually unknown of its whereabouts for six years. Where was the car found? The car was found down in St. Petersburg, Florida, in a warehouse. When we were able to go back and do the research on the Corvettes that raced at Le Mans in 1960, I was able to get a fax copy of the VIN numbers of those cars that went to Le Mans in 1960. So I had the Holy Grail on my hands, which is really cool. At the time, it was a 19-year search to try to find that car. And of course, the number two car was found in a junkyard for $300 back in 1980 by a guy named Michael Pillsbury. Wow. The number three car we located in St. Louis back in 93 or 94. I remember after we got the show numbers, we got that car from an airline pilot, believe it or not, in St. Louis. So the only car that has not been found was the number one car that was at one time registered down in Tampa, Florida. 
it was just pure luck. I shared this serial number with Lance's father, Chip Miller, who was a very, very dear friend of mine. Since we got the number three car for Chip at the time, Chip says, Kevin, we got to go after the number one car. You and me are best of friends. Let's hunt around. We got the VIN number, which was VIN number 3535. I think at that time, it was maybe seven years search. Chip and I were around. We, were, we looked at every 60 Corvette we could think of. We went to a lot of car shows in the area. Every time we saw a 60 Corvette, we look underneath the hood of the car, see if it's 3535. Maybe the guy's just driving on the street had no idea what he had. But lo and behold, I got inducted at Bloomington Gold, everything called the Great Hall. And I was one of the fortunate people that got inducted into that. And at the time, Lance Miller, who I'm very, very close with Lance after Chip passed away, said to me, Kevin, I got a call from a guy in Larry Berman who runs the Cunningham website. And there's a gentleman down in St. Petersburg that claims that he has the number 3535. And I said, look, Lance, why are you breaking my shoes right now? I mean, I'm about to be inducted into this thing. I'm running late. I got to get there in time. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm telling the truth. But what happened was this was when Chip knew his life was shortened, he gave the VIN number to Larry Berman. Berman took that and put that on his website. So now the whole world knows about the Sherman car. At the time, I didn't know who Larry Berman was. I didn't know there was even a Cunningham website that lists all the serial numbers on the car. So for a couple of years, I don't think about this until one day Chip gave the VIN number to Larry. He goes, look, whatever you do, don't tell Kevin McKay that I gave you the VIN number because he's going to be really upset with me. But I think my days are numbers. So I want you to have this. Maybe the number might be out there somewhere. So it kind of turned out was when this gentleman had this custom Corvette, his name was Rick Carr. And they took the serial number off the chassis and they did a Google search and it came up. Larry Berman's website of 3535 is the missing number one Cunningham Corvette that raced at Le Mans in 1960. So he got a hold of Larry and Larry knew the story about Chip sharing that VIN number with him. He gets a hold of the son, which is Lance. Lance contacts me and basically the rest is really history. Because what happened was I really didn't believe Lance because Lance and I, we practical jokers a lot of times when we kid around with each other. That's what friends do. So after I came back from Bloomington, Lance says, Kevin, I'm going to get some photographs of the car. This gentleman claims. And I said, Lance, I just don't believe you. It's too good to be true. This has like been like a 19-year search for me. He goes, look, let's just see what happens. So he gets these photographs. He emails them to me. And within a second, I knew right away it was the number one Cunningham car because the wiper hole was still there in the center of the body, which just completely blew me away. So instantly I got on the phone with Lance. He goes, it's a car. Well, how do you know it's a car? I said, well, look at that hole in the middle of the body. <laughs> that wiper hole that they moved the wiper transmission from the outside of the car to the middle of the car so the wipers wouldn't clash. I said, I can't believe it. It's a car. And then they had the original serial number, which was actually buried on the steering column. Because what happened was the car was so severely customized, they put a 1956-57 front nose section on the car. So as you know, in 1958 to 1962, the Corvettes had four headlights in the front. Right. This car only had single headlights in the front, had one on each side, only two headlights on it. So it could have been either a 53 to 57 Corvette because of these single headlights in the front. But what we found out later on, and I'll discuss that with you later on, that I see this extremely customized Corvette. I said, boy, you know, it doesn't look like a, you know, a 60 model year because it's got single headlights on it. But it was so customized. And back then in the 60s and probably the 70s, that was a very, very common thing to do. So I physically went down there. And by the way, the reason why they checked the frame numbers because they didn't think the car had a VIN tag on it because on an earlier Corvette, the VIN tags are on the driver's side doorpost. And then sometime in early 1960, they took the serial number tag or VIN tag and they spot wheeled it to the steering column on the car. Oh. So when people were looking at the car at the time, there was no serial number on it. But what was nice about that Rick Carr, 
lift the body up on one side and was able to remove at least take a picture of the chassis numbers of 3535 and realized it was a 60 Corvette. And that's how we did the Google search and the rest was history. So it's just kind of neat how this all kind of twist and turn the whole bit. Hit the car sitting in this warehouse since 1976. Wow. We located the car sometime in about 2012. That's amazing. I tell you what, let's take a quick break. And in segment number two, we're going to talk about the legal battle for this number one Corvette from Lamar on Corvette Today. VetFinders.com is the Internet's original Corvette classified ads website with classified ads starting at just $25. And every ad runs until your Corvette is sold. If you're in the market for a Corvette, VetFinders.com has over 500 Corvettes for sale from all around the USA and Canada and covering all eight generations. Visit VetFinders.com, the Internet's destination for buying and selling Corvettes. That's V-E-T-T-E, Finders.com. Hey, honey, are you awake? Mm, I am now. I can't sleep. Since turning 50, I keep dreaming of a red door and a blue door, somehow knowing there are only choices for retirement. Okay. Through the red door, we outlive our money. We have to rely on our kids. We're stuck on a fixed income. It's terrifying. Yeah, that would suck. But through the blue door, our money outlives us. We retire on our terms. Our kids stay our kids, not our caretakers. We make work optional. Yes, that's much better. That's what I I want to, but what do we do? We call True Wealth and Company at 913-653-8783. They specialize in helping successful people make work optional. They're our fiduciary Blue Door personal wealth managers. Hey, where are you going? It's 3 a.m. I can't sleep. I'm going to check out True Wealth and Company online at retirewithtrue.com. That Blue Door is going to be our retirement. 913-653-8783. Visit us online at retirewithtrue.com. Investment advice offered through True Wealth and Company, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas. This is the Corvette Today podcast with Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. With me is legendary Corvette hunter and the owner of Corvette Repair in Long Island, New York, Kevin McKay. We're talking about the number one Corvette from Le Mans, 1960, and what happened to it. In the second segment, we're going to talk about a lot of different players claiming that they own that car. Kevin, the legal battle kind of ensued because there are a lot of people that claim they own that number one car. Give us the entire backstory of what happened after you guys found it. Well, actually, Steve, it's a very delicate topic to talk about that at all. And I want to talk about positive things about the car, not negative things about the car. And I want to just leave it like that only because it was just a very, very bad time in my life, that experience that I had. But I think we came out the winner at the end. The car is in our possession. It's in the middle of a restoration, which is great. Most people might have not known yet who purchased the car back was the actual Briggs Cunningham family and has hired a repair of Alex in New York to do the uh, complete restoration on the car, which I'm just thrilled to death to be a part of it. We do have the extensive experience that put that car together the proper way because we did that 20-something years ago with the number three class winner cars. So we made a lot of duplicates of the parts of the car. We have the knowledge and the experience, and I'm just really, really excited to start all over again because we've had literally thousands and thousands of hours of research on the Cunningham effort. I'm a little rusty right now. I mean, also a little bit older, but I'm also a little bit wiser. The lawsuit part of it, I don't even want to discuss because it's behind me. I can't change what has happened. The thing is, we have a very, very happy ending that the car went to a great place. I couldn't ask for it to be at a better home. We're just very privileged to be a part of this whole thing here. 
what I can talk about, basically, what's neat about the number one car, out of the three cars that ordered out of Don Allen Chevrolet, the number one car had a CZ engine code, which, which is on the inspection sheet, hmm. which is that only car that had aluminum heads on it, where the number two car and the number three car were coded CS as in Sam, and they were cast iron heads. Now, the car was really a 290 horse car, but they listed it on the inspection sheet as a 315 horse car, which is okay. Another great story about the number one car, the original individuals that were supposed to drive the car, was supposed to be two drivers per car, was actually Brace Cunningham himself and Zora Arcus Duntoff. Wow. Wonderful stories that a gentleman named Jerry Burton, who wrote the book about Zora Arcus Duntoff, I was with another gentleman named Franz Eckstriker, who was a, another engineer that lived down in Michigan. And I was visiting with Franz. We had lunch with Jerry. And Jerry says, what are you guys doing the rest of the day today? I said, well, I'm just going to just go to shops and talk to people. And he goes, well, if you not have any plans later on today, would you like to go to Duntoff's home? I said, what? Wow. I said, really? I said, yeah, Elfie's still there. We, you know, we go say hi, hello to her. I knew her over the years, her and her husband, uh, some of the shows that we've been to. I said, are you kidding me? Uh, let's go. We went there and she could be more gracious. Franz and I and Jerry walked in there and I was able to go through the place. She says, Kevin, go wherever you want to go. And I went through all her personal belongings and went through all these dresser drawers and closets. You name it, I went through it. And I found this retirement book dated July of 74, I remember. And it was like a two-page handwritten letter from Briggs Cunningham. And he's talking about the Le Mans effort, which I was able to get a copy of that letter, which is wonderful. But in that letter, I didn't know this, but Duntoff was such an important driver, an important employee for Chevrolet, that Ed Cole did not want to go over to Lamar. And Briggs pleaded with Ed Cole to, look, he's a very important part of this team. He has to be there. I give you my word that I will not let him get behind the wheel of the car because Zora was a good driver, but he wasn't a great driver. Le Mans is the most prestigious race in the world. To me, representing the United States, like going to the Olympics, they got another gentleman named Bill Kimberly, who was, I think was, at the time was like 24 years old, to replace Duntoff, but they wanted Duntoff there. But I had this handwritten letter, which is amazing, not knowing that. But Duntoff did go over there, and it was still a big part of that team and the effort. When the car crashed, that was the first car out of the race, was the number one car. What happened was Briggs Cunningham started the race as a Le Mans start and hopped in the car and took off and did very, very well. And then Kimberly got into the car and it started raining. I mean, heavy rain, like a wall of rain. And I guess he went down a turn and lost control of the car and the car flipped over and burst into flames. Luckily enough, the flames were was diminished quickly because let's face it, when you're at a racetrack, what's there? Emergency crew, fire truck. So they were able to get the back on the four wheels and they dragged it into the pits. Of course, the car was out of the race at the 32 laps. And we, of course, we know what happened with the number two car, number three car. They both did extremely well. And knowing that the three car won its class eighth overall, which is an amazing accomplishment in itself. That's really important. But what's neat about this, we found the complete chain of ownership history on the car, which is wonderful. After the race at Le Mans in 1960, Cunningham decided to get rid of the cars, so they took out the original special engines and they put back the stock motors and they sold the cars to local people. One gentleman was a guy named Perry Barwell, who was a known customizer, good friends with Bill Frick, who was in charge to sell the three cars. Perry took the car and started customizing the car. And it, what it looked like when you saw the car online or at RM Auction, it looked exactly like that, but it was in black in color, believe it or not. So actually, this guy Perry did all the customizing work, and we have photographs of it back in April of 1962, him customizing the car, which is pretty cool. Wow. Also, we even see a picture of the number one still on the door when he was customizing the car. 
He's a gentleman that took a 56, 57 nose and installed it on the front of the car and then modified the back of the car. But he did use the original doors. Still got the original birdcage, original flooring, original firewall in the car. That was all there. Of course, the nose had to be changed. The rear cliff had to be severely changed and repair. But the basic structure of the car was there. The original rolling chassis with all the original suspension was still there. The Vintag was still there. Knowing that we have all the history of ownership now, the car was absolutely bulletproof. And the work orders and the engineering drawings and all the correspondent letters from GM, we were able to accumulate a lot of it. There's still maybe some pieces we might be missing. We have all the inspection sheets from Lamar with all the serial numbers of all these cars. So these cars are bulletproof A to Z documentation. I'm just thrilled to be a part of this because we started with nothing back in 1993 when we were able to get the first serial numbers of the cars. So now we have all this. And we're still collecting stuff and people still donating stuff to us, which is nice to see. So we're really, really excited to have eventually all three cars back together again. We haven't decided when they're going to be debuted because we're still working on the number one car. It's right in the middle of a restoration right now as we speak. But we're so damn excited to have for the first time in history having all three cars together again since 1960. You're talking about 55 plus years. I'm sorry, 60 years. It's pretty exciting. That is exciting. And it's amazing all the documentation that you've collected. Now, in this year, May of this year, the car was sold at auction at RM Auction. Talk about the sale, the price, and everything about the auction. Well, I've been approached by the Cunningham family a year before, believe it or not. They expect interest on the car. I said to them that eventually the car will be for sale according to the court order, which it did. I thought the car would go for more money, to be honest with you, but I think people were afraid of the lawsuit at the time that a lot of people just ran away. They didn't want nothing to do with it. But the Cunningham family wanted that car back in their possession. It was there from the very, very beginning, and I'm just thrilled to be a part of that whole thing. But I thought they got the car at a very, very fair price for it. the amount of history that car really is. I think once the car is done and it's debuted, I think the value is going to soar like the other two cars are. But knowing that all three cars have survived, we just got to pick a place in time where we'll debut it. I would love to bring those three cars back to Lamar. That would just be insane. So whether it be either, either at Pebble Beach or Amelia Island, maybe at Corvitz or Carlisle, I wouldn't mind there debuting it. I think the public can't wait. Like, I can't wait. So we're anxious to get this car done. And it's going to take a little time because the car is definitely rough, but it's real. Most cars were beat to death. We're going to make this car into a, uh, what do they call it, a diamond in a rough for now? Yes. Kevin, this car sold at auction, at RM Auction, in May of 2021 for $685,000. And with the commission, the drive-off price was $785,000. I thought that was a good price, but I agree with you. It probably should have gone for more. Well, I bought the car for $75,000, Steve. Wow. (laughs) Originally, okay. And at the time, the record price for a Corvette to sell Matter of fact, was a car that went to Sebring in 1960. It was also a big tank car, one of 10 built, called the Rat Reed car. And that car was fully restored, sold for $400,000. So we went back to Rick Carr. I said, Rick, I'm willing to pay a fair price for the car. So these are the prices where these cars went for at the time. And this car, as you know, needs a complete restoration. It's not in the best condition, but I really like to have the car. We came up with a price of $75,000, and he thought that was fair. And I wasn't trying to take advantage of anybody, but that's the facts. So I don't think there's another 60 Corvette as of today that went for more than $785,000. I think this car has broke a world record for a car that needs complete restoration. It's not even in concourse condition. It's still a tremendous amount of money. 
But I think because of the history and what we know about the car today, I think the car would be much more value than that down the pike. But if I had a car that belonged to my father, that's priceless to me. It's not about the money. It's about, wow, that car was part of our family. I want that back in my family. Right. That car is just priceless to me. Knowing that the father or grandfather drove that car at Le Mans, he was part of the team. I could pick a better family to own that car than the Cunningham family themselves getting that car back in their family loom. And Kevin, if there's any shop in the world that can take care of that car and restore it back to the way it was in 1960, it is your shop, Corvette Repair in Valley Stream, New York, that can do it because you guys are simply amazing. Buddy, let's take our final break. And then in segment number three, we're going to talk about where that Corvette is now as far as restoration goes on Corvette Today. American Hydrocarbon, your one-stop shop for custom interior, exterior, and engine bay items for your C4 through C8 Corvette. We can help you create a custom look for your Corvette with carbon fiber or 10 different color patterns and styles. We've served customers in over 28 countries all around the world. Whether it's a custom-made engine cover for your new C8 mid-engine Corvette or custom-made C4 interior upgrades, American Hydrocarbon can help you transform your Corvette into a best-in-class show car. Our products have been featured in VET and Corvette magazines, so give us a call, 813-476-5638. That's 813-476-5638. Visit our website at AmericanHydrocarbon.com or email us at pat at AmericanHydrocarbon.com. Let us help you make your Corvette the car you've always wanted it to be. American Hydrocarbon. And now, back to Corvette Today with your host and my husband, Steve Garrett. Hey, I appreciate you listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. With me is legendary Corvette hunter and the owner of Corvette Repair in Valley Stream, New York, Kevin McKay. In this final segment, as you know, Kevin has that number one car from Le Mans in 1960, and his shop is the only one that could repair it and bring it back to its 1960 livery. So, Kevin, you've got the car right now. Talk about the condition of the car, what the color was when you got it. Talk about what it's going to take to get that car back to its livery from 1960. Great, Steve. I will. We have the car at our shop right now in our possession. It was shipped directly from RM Auctions directly to our facility in Valley Stream, Long Island, New York, called Corvette Repair. Probably the following week, we got right on it very, very quickly here. We removed the nose off the car. We removed the rear section off the car. It's amazing how much was still intact on that car. Between the firewall, the floor, the steering column, all the suspension was still there on the car. The big tank was still there on the car. The front brake drums were still there on the car. Even the starter remote bracket was still on the car. Also, the fresh intake for the driver's side was still on the car. Some of the Sebring exhaust brackets were still on the car. The fresh air tube was still on the car. All the wiring was still on the car. It was just unbelievable. The Sebring cutouts for the exhaust at the back were still on the car. I learned so much on that car because when we had the number three car in our shop, we learned so much on that car because our car had all the original body panels, including the splice fender that we discussed before that was done at Sebring and then at Lamar, they replaced that fender. The car really was in amazing shape considering that it just was an ugly car. The car was more like a, like a brownish burgundy color. But a lot of that behind that was yellow paint, and then there was some evidence of black paint. And, of course, the original color was white with the blue interior. But the car was pretty amazing how much that was still intact in the car. Now, we did take the body off that car, 
the frame of that car is absolutely amazing. There's not one pit on that frame. You got to remember that car sat in a warehouse since 1976. So you figure, okay, well, my mathematics are correctly here. 1960 to 1976, it's only 16 years. And probably three of the years or so, it was being customized by Perry Barwell. And then another gentleman had the car for a while that painted yellow. There's a guy named Bobby Bollinger who died at 32 years old of cancer. And he sold it to another guy in Tampa, Florida. So that car pretty much sat most of its life. It was on the road sometime in the 70s. But other than that, that's why the frame is in such excellent condition. And all the suspension pieces are in excellent condition. What was missing on the car? Obviously, the fighter seats were missing on the car. The dash cluster was missing on the car. The roll bar was actually chopped out of it. There was still evidence of the roll bar still on the car itself as well. The doors, the rear deck was still on the car. The rear trunk area was still on the car. They modified the trunk area. The rear trunk lid was still there. Amazing. It just was. And a lot of the things on the car, Steve, were molded out of balsa wood. And the balsa wood, if you're a carpenter at all, it's very, very soft wood. It's very easy to sand, very easy to shape. And that's why he got that shape when Perry modified that front end of the car. That was all done by balsa wood, which is pretty amazing here. Even the fender skirts were 56, 57 style. That's incredible, Kevin. It really was. So taking all that out, we took the nose off the car already. We took the rear clip off the car already. So we're really excited about the restoration of the car. The restoration would take approximately two years to do. It may take less. And then we're going to have to figure out a game plan where we're going to debut the car. But I want to debut the car when all three cars are together for the first time. I don't think I want to debut the car. Well, hopefully the family will agree with me. I want to make a big splash. I want to do a press release. We're going to do it right. We're going to notify the car community because it's not just Corvette people. It's the car community. I think everybody in the world that's a car enthusiast or at least a Corvette enthusiast has got to know about the Cunningham cars. And I believe in my heart, I think that the most famous Corvette as of today in 2021 is probably the number one Cunningham car. Everybody knows this car. And it's been publicized since 2012 when we discovered the car by accident. And so here it is now, it's 21. So that's already nine years already. So between hunting the car down, the litigation stuff, which is behind us now, I'm really, really excited to be a part of this. And I'm so blessed and fortunate that I have such a great team. My staff is just amazing to me. We're like family. So I'm really blessed that we have the right people to get the job done the proper way. I don't want to disappoint anybody. We're pretty particular. I want it right. We have the number three car in our possession, too. This way, if we have any questions on certain things, we can look at the number three car, which helps us out tremendously in the restoration. I did take a lot of notes over the years. I made templates of a lot of things beforehand when I did number three cars. I figured maybe one day or another, we're going to find this number one car. And it just kind of fell in our laps by accident. We're pretty excited about it. And like I said, I want to go back to Lamar with all three cars. That's my goal. You said it's going to take a couple years. When did the car actually arrive there at Corvette Repair? Less than a week after the auction, the car went directly to me. Gotcha. We jumped on that car very quickly within days of delivery. We were so excited about this. Steve, I've been waiting for this day. Think about this now. I've been thinking about this car since 1993. So it's finally coming to reality that we have the opportunity to get the job, do the restoration, and to tell the story. That's 28 years, my friend. 28 years. It is. I'm not getting any younger, Steve. You, know? <laughs> you and me both, my friend. You and me both. Now, obviously, Lance Miller is very close and always has been. His father was before his passing. Have you guys talked with Bruce Meyer in Los Angeles? Because he owns the number two car, and Bruce has been affiliated with the Peterson Automotive Museum there in Los Angeles. Is he on board with getting all three cars back together? 
Absolutely. Matter of fact, Mr. Myers, Bruce was there at the auction house. We were a little bit concerned that maybe Bruce or maybe a good friend of his may have an interest in purchasing the car. We didn't know what to expect at that auction, but he was there. He was a couple of seats away from us in the back row there. And as soon as the car sold, Bruce came over to us and congratulate family. And Lance was there. I was there. All three of us were there. And Bruce is just as excited as we all are. We're all going to be on board. He's a car guy, very well respected in the hobby. He's got an amazing collection of all kinds of cars. Great guy. We're going to all get together. We all work together. We get along together. We all have the same passion. So is he on board? Yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't he? He knows the history like we know it. It's going to happen. And we're very, very excited to be all be a part of it and to tell the story. And people are going to get a big kick out of it. That sounds great, Kevin. If it's going to take two years, we got to have you back on Corvette today, maybe after a year, and give us progress on how this number one car is coming along. Well, as of right now, it's coming along very, very well. As long as we don't get held up with any kind of special parts, because there's still some parts I have to have handmade or whatever, it may be done less than that, Steve. I'm just given a window. It'll be two years or less is going to be my window. So this way, if I get it done in, say, a year, then we look like a hero. Absolutely right. And make sure you keep me up to date because we'll have you back on Corvette today and we'll talk about the progress of this number one Lamar car. I can't wait. The one thing I wish, I never met Bruce Cunningham himself. I know he passed away, I think, at the age of 96 years old. He had a full life. When we found the car, the number three car at the time, he was still around, but I heard that his health wasn't that good. So we never had a chance. Me and Chip were going to go out there and visit him at a nursing home, but I heard he was just too far gone at the time, which is sad. I just want to let him know that we're thinking of you and we have your cars. They're going to be in great homes. Kevin, thank you so much for being on Corvette today. This story has been amazing, and I'm anxious to hear how progress goes on this number one car. Thanks for being here. Anytime, Steve. Always a pleasure, and I'll see you next week, my friend. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today, and please be sure to tell your family, friends, and other Corvette enthusiasts about the Corvette Today podcast. And thanks to our flagship sponsors, American Hydrocarbon at AmericanHydrocarbon.com and True Wealth & Company at RetireWithTrue.com. You've been listening to Corvette Today with Steve Garrett. If you'd like to contact Steve with any thoughts on the podcast or ideas for guests on Corvette Today, you can email him at stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. That's stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. Garrett has two R's and two T's. Or connect with Steve on social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using at stevegarrettdj. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today.